Have you ever bid on something on eBay? What was it? Maybe it was a camera or a collectible item. Maybe you've even sold something. Teenage heartthrob television star and ageless actor John Stamos once got into a bidding war with a very famous celebrity on eBay. As the auction came to a close, Stamos won a very large entrance sign from Disneyland. He paid about $30,000 for it, winning against none other than Michael Jackson, who had gotten distracted during the final moments of the online auction. Michael Jackson would later call Stamos to discuss his loss and ask him if they could go to Disneyland someday together. This is just one example of the unique character of John Stamos, an actor who has lived a very endearing and interesting life. John Stamos is most known for the years he spent playing Uncle Jesse on TV. While I don't recall my sister ever being a huge fan of the show, I do distinctly remember the crush she had on him for pretty much all of her adult life. The more I learned about him, the more I really started to understand the long-standing appeal of John Stamos, and not just because he is so attractive with his perfect hair and porcelain white teeth. It's a lot more than that. On today's show, you will learn that John Stamos is incredibly family-oriented, a Disney fanatic like me and my sister, and he uses his fame for many meaningful causes. So slick back your Uncle Jesse mullet and put your Beach Boys album into your tape deck. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, a show inspired by and in memory of my big sister Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your host on this trip aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number seven, John Stamos, an icon of television and a household name, especially in the 1980s and early 1990s. My sister absolutely loved John Stamos, and I'm pretty sure she was always on the lookout for him during the years that she spent living in California. I myself would have been on the lookout for Janet Jackson, but hey, to each their own. John Philip Stamos was born on August 19, 1963. He was born in Cypress, California, which coincidentally is the same hometown that Jody Sweeten, who would later play Stephanie in Full House with him, was also born. He was born to parents Loretta Phillips, who was of Irish descent, she was a model, and William Stamos, who was a restaurateur. His father's side is Greek, and his surname was actually Stamotopoulos. When he became an adult, his mom said that he was actually an ugly baby, which I find very hard to believe. He has two younger sisters, Janine and Elena. They are both teachers. At a very young age, Stamos' father encouraged and taught him all about having a solid work ethic. For many years, he worked at the family's fast food restaurant called The Yellow Basket, beginning when he was about 13 and continuing on for most of his teenage years and into his early adulthood. When he eventually got into acting, his father once said, When you go to work, don't forget to treat your janitor the same way you treat the producer. He never forgot this. At 14 years old, he saw his first Beach Boys concert. He has loved them and appreciated their music ever since, but we'll discuss the Beach Boys a bit more later. This concert really lit a creative fire in John. 
he decided he wanted to become a musician and an actor. In high school, he played drums in the marching band, and music has stayed a lifelong passion of his. He grew up about 20 minutes from Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland, a source of inspiration for him to pursue his dreams and never give up. He said that, believe it or not, he was a huge nerd growing up. And while other teenagers were out, you know, maybe drinking or something to that, of that nature, he went to Disneyland on Friday and Saturday nights. He would go on the attractions like the Matterhorn and Pirates of the Caribbean, and he would stay and listen to the bands playing like the Main Street Band. In 1981, he was slated to attend Cypress Community College, but he was able to convince his dad to let him pursue acting. They agreed he would take off one semester to see where this would take him. Within a matter of weeks after making that decision, he auditioned and got the role of Blackie Parrish on the popular soap opera General Hospital. When you hear the word soap opera, does anybody else think about being homesick from school and being really frustrated that there was really nothing good to watch on TV other than maybe soap operas and chips. That was certainly my childhood. I wasn't a huge fan of soap operas at all. But hey, that's pretty impressive within the first few weeks of deciding to pursue acting, getting a pretty serious gig. That's that's pretty amazing. He was only supposed to appear on five episodes, but he was instantly popular, so he actually stayed on for a few years. During the first few months that he was on the show, his dad insisted that he continue working at the restaurant, which he did for about three months, until it was clear he'd be staying on the show. Plus, he was often distracted while working by fans wanting a photograph or an autograph, so his dad let him cease working. He was on the show from 1982 to 1984. In 1983 and 1984, he was nominated for a Daytime Emmy for his portrayal of Blackie, who was living on the streets following the death of his mother. He was adopted by two doctors, and he helped his adoptive father build a youth center. Bringing real life to the small screen, Blackie played the drums in a band. Even though he had made it big with General Hospital, he continued to drive his El Camino, which originally belonged to his dad. He apparently still has that car. He won two Soap Opera Digest awards during this time. In case you're not familiar, Soap Opera Digest is a magazine that has been in publication since 1975. It comes out weekly. I often see it at the checkout line at the grocery store. It features news regarding soap operas and information about kind of what happens behind the scenes and off screen. I'm sure it's the most coveted award he's ever won. In 1985, he started playing drums for the Beach Boys. It happened during a 4th of July performance. He apparently did so well that he ended up touring with them off and on. After his stint on General Hospital, he starred in a few short-lived TV shows and a movie. Little did he know that the most iconic role of his career was waiting just around the bend. <laughs> okay. In 1987, John got the role of Uncle Jesse on ABC's television show Full House. Originally, his name on the series was going to be Jesse Cochran, but Stamos advocated that his character should have a last name that reflected his Greek heritage, so it was changed to Katsopoulos. I think everyone is relatively familiar with this show, but in case you are not, the premise of Full House was focused around Danny Tanner, who was played by Bob Saget, who is the widowed father of three girls, DJ, played by Candace Cameron, Stephanie, played by Jody Sweeten, and Michelle, played by Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. Danny Tanner was sort of neurotic and a neat freak, and he works in broadcasting. Danny's brother-in-law, Jesse Katsopoulos, played by John Stamos, 
and his close friend, Joey Gladstone, played by Dave Coulier, come to live with him to help him raise the girls. Uncle Jesse works as an exterminator for his dad's company, perhaps mirroring his real life. But eventually he leaves to work in advertising, which he often does with Joey. Joey was also referred to as Uncle Joey. The backstory with the three was that Joey and Danny were friends during their childhood, and Joey and Jesse were close friends as adults. And just a quick side note on Dave Coulier, in case you're not familiar with his story. It's pretty interesting. Dave Coulier is a stand-up comedian who got his start in comedy by impersonating his high school principal, of all people, and various faculty members on the school's PA system. He is also a talented voiceover artist. He did the voices of Animal and Bunsen on The Muppet Babies, which was really one of me and my sister's all-time favorite cartoons. Dave Coulier actually knew Bob Saget before the show started, as they were both in stand-up comedy, and Dave was struggling to make a living as a comedian. He actually couch-surfed at Bob Saget's house for a while. Also, before starring in Full House, Dave Coulier starred in Out of Control, which was sort of a sketch comedy show. It had some reoccurring segments. It originally aired on Nickelodeon from 1984 to 1985, and I definitely remember watching that show. Dave Coulier used some of the character development he did for that show and applied it to his character of Joey Gladstone. One thing that originated through Out of Control was his signature catchphrase, Cut it out. In the early 1990s, Dave Coulier dated singer Alanis Morissette, and there's always been a rumor that he was the inspiration for the popular song, You Ought to Know. I just cannot see them as ever being a couple, but perhaps they bonded over having been on short-lived TV shows on Nickelodeon in the early 1980s. He in the previously mentioned show, Out of Control, and her in several episodes of You Can't Do That on Television. Both of these shows will be discussed in a future episode of the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast. But back to Stamos. Full House was set in San Francisco, and it had very memorable opening credits, which are a minute and a half long, by the way. Uncle Jesse, who originally had a mullet, was sort of the cool uncle and loved the Beach Boys and Elvis, just like John in real life. And on a side note, John Stamos is such a huge fan of Elvis that he is actually the narrator of the Elvis tour at Graceland. Impressive. Uncle Jesse is sort of overwhelmed at first by taking care of the girls, but he becomes more and more comfortable as time passes on, and he really does start to feel like an uncle any kid would want. He is obsessed with his hair and often said something along the lines of, careful for the hair, huh? I think it sounded better when he said it, but that was my best impression. He is a bit unlucky in love at times, but he ends up marrying Becky Donaldson, who is played by the beautiful Lori Laughlin. They end up having two children and build an apartment kind of space in the attic of the house. The show followed a pretty typical format, which so many sitcoms of the time followed. The episode would start off kind of light. Then there is typically some kind of problem. For example, in one episode, DJ is made fun of by a clique of girls at school. In another, Stephanie and DJ accidentally damage a wall in their dad's room. And then a resolution to all that happens. And that was done with the help of some pretty corny and lighthearted slash touching music. Maybe one of the girls would be upset about their mother being deceased, and Danny would chime in and say something like, You may not have a mom anymore, but you have an Uncle Jesse, an Uncle Joey, and a dad, and we love you very, very much. And I feel like that was often the solution for every problem was, You have an Uncle Jesse, an Uncle Joey, and a dad. They did touch on some serious topics, though, in that show, including grief, 
eating disorders, and child abuse, among others. I can't say that my sister and I were huge fans of Full House by any means, but I think part of the reason why it stayed on for so long is because the actors on the show had really good chemistry. Uncle Jesse and Uncle Joey really felt like your super cool and funny uncles. The three girls felt like sisters, and Danny felt like America's dad. The show was generally lighthearted, not very stressful to watch, and it aired on Friday nights, which would eventually evolve into TGIF, which was a really big deal in the 1990s. Some shows that were part of the TGIF lineup around this time included Perfect Strangers, Step by Step, and Family Matters. P.S. Did you know that Family Matters was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers? Neither did I, and once again, like Nintendo cartridges, my mind is blown. The show ran for eight seasons. After season eight, the show was going to move networks from ABC to the WB. Stamos strongly disagreed with this move and Candace Cameron wanted to attend college, so it ended after season eight. Stamos has said that he has never really watched any episodes of Full House because of his regrettable hair, mostly probably the mullet, and his dated outfits. A lot of leather vests. Lots of leather vests at that time. During the show's run, there were a few episodes that featured the Beach Boys, including one where they performed together. Stamos has gone on to play music with them in music videos and across the country. He starred in the 1988 music video for Kokomo, which was featured on the soundtrack for Cocktail, a movie that I owned on VHS and watched over and over and over again. I pretended like I had a crush on Tom Cruise, but really it was because of Elizabeth Shue. Adventures in Babysitting, anyone? Yeah. Elizabeth Shue. She's awesome. Stamos and the Beach Boys collaborated on the song Forever, which Uncle Jesse sang at his wedding to Becky. At the time, I actually really liked that song, and I'm surprised I saw it because I didn't really watch that show that much at the time. But here are some of the lyrics in case you have forgotten about this 1990s hit. If every word I said could make you'd laugh, I'd talk forever. Together, my love. I asked the sky just what we had. Oh, it shone forever. Together, my love, if the song I sing to you could fill your heart with joy, I'd sing forever, together, my love, forever, forever. I've been so happy loving you. And also during the show's run, in 1990, John Stamos was voted one of the most beautiful people in the world by People magazine. In 1991, he became part of the It couple when he dated Paula Abdul. There were a lot of rumors swirling that the song Cold-Hearted Snake was written about him, but that song came out in 1989, which was before they had even met. And if that doesn't show that he really truly made it, dating Paula Abdul, I don't know what does. Their relationship was relatively short, but certainly noteworthy when it came to celebrities of the time. John Stamos once said that she was so famous at this time that people were just sort of jumping over him to get to her, so clearly opposites attract. And speaking of opposites attract, I don't think there'll ever be a show about Paula Abdul because my sister wasn't really a fan of hers, but I have to bring up a few lines of that song, Opposites Attract, because it's just so ridiculous and makes me laugh so hard every time I hear it. In case you don't remember the music video for Opposites Attract, it features Paula Abdul, of course, and MC Scat Cat, who is a cartoon drawing of a human-sized cat, who is, I guess, her love interest, which is Interesting. A few of the lines from the song goes, She's got the money, and he's always broke. I don't like cigarettes, and I like to smoke. I wonder if they sat in the smoking or non-smoking section of a restaurant. 
1994, he released an independent album called Shades of Blue. Allegedly, John Stamos is more of a talented musician than he gets credit for. In addition to the drums, he can also play the bass, guitar, and the keyboard. Following Full House, he has remained close friends with Bob Saget, who, believe it or not, is a very adult-oriented stand-up comedian, a very far cry from the squeaky clean and sweater-wearing dad he played on TV. And despite a lot of gossip, he actually thinks pretty fondly of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. He once said, quote, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, who played Michelle, were great. I miss them. I love them. And I need to borrow some money from them, end quote. And in case you didn't know, according to People magazine, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen originally earned about $2,400 per episode when Full House first started. Then it was $25,000 per episode and then $80,000 per episode. And also more recently, between real estate investments, full house money, of course, and fashion ventures, each of them are worth around $250 million. Another close friend was legendary comedian Don Rickles and Howard Stern. John and Don were actually on Howard Stern together in 2007, and John performed in the wedding band at Howard Stern's wedding. 2003 saw John Stamos's most challenging and profound acting gig of his career, a commercial for 1010-987. Does anybody remember that? In case you don't, in lieu of using your standard landline phone to call long distance, which was pretty expensive, different companies started popping up left and right that would allow you to dial several digits like 1010-987 before making your long distance call to save a bit of money. And oftentimes there was a celebrity in those advertisements on TV. Stamos has gone on to star in ER and many TV shows and made-for-TV movies, following his riveting performance in the 1010-987 commercials. And of course, Full House. He has performed in several musicals on Broadway and showed that he can really sing and dance. He was in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Cabaret, and Bye Bye Birdie. In 2009, he got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for this work. One of the reasons why my sister liked him so much and why I realized I do too is because he loves Disneyland and Disney, and one of the last places I visited with my sister when she was well was Disneyland. I actually own a Disneyland mug that she bought me a number of years ago. I drink coffee every single morning, and it's one of my most prized possessions, but some days I'm a little bit worried to use it. I'm scared that I'll drop it. But it's uh, one of the most important things that I have. He has collected a lot of Disney memorabilia over the years, including a Dumbo the Flying Elephant attraction vehicle and also a vehicle from Snow White's Scary Adventures. Further, he also owns a devil from Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, and he acquired that fabulous Disneyland sign we discussed earlier. He has the first letter of that sign displayed in his backyard, and it's visible by many of his celebrity neighbors. Stamos has dealt with some loss over the course of his life, which had a huge impact on him. He lost his father in 1989, which was incredibly difficult for him. Then he got divorced in 2005 from Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Following these two events, he developed some unhealthy habits. In 2014, he lost his mother, and that really pushed him over the edge, and I imagine it brought up a lot of loss for him. He got arrested for a DUI in 2016, but thankfully sought out help for his alcohol addiction and dependence on Ambien. Stamos is now in a much healthier place, and once he got there, good things really started to happen. 
He started dating actress Caitlin McHugh in 2016, and Disneyland ended up playing an important role in their relationship. She is a huge Disneyland fan as well, and often dresses up when she visits the park. They dated for about a year, and in 2017, he proposed. And his proposal is the most amazing proposal I have ever heard about. He brought her to the animation building at Disneyland, and several of the romantic scenes from famous Disney and Pixar movies played, and toward the end, Sebastian, the crab from Little Mermaid, was holding a sign that said, Ask the Girl, reminiscent of the famous song Kiss the Girl from the 1989 hit movie, which I saw in the theaters. But anyways, they got to spend their engagement night in the Dream Suite at Disneyland, which is a 2,200-square-foot apartment inspired by Walt Disney located in New Orleans Square above Pirates of the Caribbean. They ran around the park after it closed. Are you freaking kidding me? That is amazing. Oh, my God. That is a dream come true. Wish that was my engagement story. Jeez. They married in February of 2018 and welcomed a son, Billy, in April of 2018. He is named after John's dad. He's often said that he had to wait a long time to find the right person, and he is enamored with his son, which is quite apparent if you get a chance to watch any interviews when Billy is brought up. In several, you can see him getting sincerely choked up when talking about him. You can tell he wanted to have children for a very long time, and although he had to wait, it's obvious that it was well worth it. Both of John's parents passed away before Billy was born, and so speaking about Billy and not having his parents around is also emotional for him. It has often been said that a person's sense of smell is the strongest sense related to memory. John Stamos apparently wears the same cologne that his father did. That's very sweet. Another reason why John Stamos is such a likable person is because he uses his fame for many good causes. First, he and his wife started a jewelry company called St. Amos Jewelry, and all the proceeds from that go to a nonprofit called Child Help, which aids children who are the victims of child abuse. He is also the national spokesperson for Project Cuddle, which is an organization that works to prevent child abandonment by helping connect expectant mothers with resources that they may need, including prenatal care, shelter, and they can also assist with adoption placement. This summer, the Full House reboot, Fuller House, wrapped up. The theme song was performed by Carly Rae Jepsen, who you may remember from the earworm song, Call Me Maybe. And while the nostalgic side of me was excited for it, it premiered, I think, in 2016. I think I actually told my sister about it. The show is unfortunately terrible, and I don't think I could get through more than one or two episodes. It was just too painful. I just couldn't do it. But I'm sure for diehard Full House fans, this was a dream come true. I hope you've enjoyed this look back at the life and career of John Stamos. My cousin reminded me of my sister's adoration for him. Aside from his role in Full House, I appreciated learning more about him because his love of Disneyland and his family is so genuine and so relatable, and his struggle to cope with loss and grief I could really relate to. I don't think he has ever taken his success for granted, and this became even more apparent when I learned that he kept the love seat from the set of the original Full House, the blue and beige checkered one. Which, going back to that show, there was like 
I don't know, eight or nine people in that house at one point? Could they not have gotten a bigger couch? They had a million dollar home in San Francisco, yet they had a love seat to sit on? What's the matter with you people? Get a sectional. Come on. But yes, he kept the love seat and he posted a picture of it on Instagram recently, and it was sort of jammed in the doorway. And he wrote a comment that said, baby safety gate or one of the most iconic couches in pop TV history. You make the call. I mean, how could you not love this guy? If you are enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please consider subscribing on whichever podcast platform you use. Please also consider rating the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It helps the show out a lot. We have actually crossed two major milestones with this episode. First, this is episode number seven, but technically it's episode eight if you include my introductory episode, which if you haven't listened to that yet, please do so because it may help you to understand the inspiration for the show a little bit more. I've learned a lot about podcasting in the past few months, and it sounds like a lot of people quit podcasting after episode seven. It is a lot of work for me to be honest to do this show, but I've really enjoyed doing this, and it feels amazing to do something productive with my very painful and sometimes debilitating grief that uh, hits me countless times each day. But if this show has brought a smile to your face, or if you've laughed at one of my subtle and sarcastic jokes, well, then it's worth it. Life is hard sometimes, and I know that everyone is carrying something or has something on their mind that maybe people aren't aware of, so hopefully this has helped you escape for a little bit. I know that podcasts have always done that for me for the 10 plus years that I've been listening to them. The other milestone that we have reached on this show is the hundreds of downloads that have occurred since the show premiered at the end of May. As of the recording of this show, the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast has been downloaded over 300 times, and not just in the United States, but faraway places like France, Brazil, Costa Rica, and Switzerland. I am really and truly flattered. Thank you so much for tuning in and for your support. Please tell your friends and family about the show. And please also feel free to contact me. My email address is popcultureretrospective at gmail.com, or you can tweet me. I'm at popcultureretro. I'll be doing some traveling with my family, social distancing approved, of course, over the next few weeks, so there may be some longer gaps between shows, but I will get right back to it as soon as I can. When the next show is released, I hope you will join me, as we will be taking a look at Rainbow Bright, the classic 80s cartoon that my sister loved. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories. <laughs>